The reading of the word this morning comes from Exodus 4, verses 18 through 31. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the, the, and the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So we went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here in this space with you. We know that your spirit is here and it's at work already in the hearts and the lives of us in this room. Those joining us via live stream, those in the overflow room upstairs. You're not bound by space, you're not bound by time. And yet you love to enter spaces and times, you love to meet with your people and specifically around your means of grace on your day, and that's where we are. We've come to sit at your feet like Mary, we've come to learn from you. We want you to speak to us now by the Spirit, by the Word, in a way that we can take in and receive, that we would learn it, that we would mark it, that we would inwardly digest it that that which you have spoken to us would become a part of us and it would shape us more into the likeness of your beloved Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now would you please set our affections and attentions upon this, your word, as we've come now to hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you who've been with us for a long time here at Cornerstone know it's our it's our typical tradition and path to work through books uh, of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by uh, chapter. 
Um, in doing that, we believe that it helps uh, God's people to have a sense of the whole of His counsel. As we study from Old Testament to New Testament, it also helps us keep pace with the things that are important to the Lord, so that you just don't have a minister um, cherry-picking particular texts or... or um, getting on a particular hobby horse over and over and speaking to you on particular matters. It also means that your preacher, your pastor, gets the opportunity to deal with very difficult texts at times. There are a few verses in this text that are among the most difficult verses anywhere in the Bible, uh, much less than Exodus chapter 4. So, you remember those prayers I was asking you to pray at the beginning of our time? I'd prefer them all directed my way now as we approach the text from Exodus chapter 4. The Lord would be gracious and that through what is prepared, uh, you would find that he is speaking clearly and that you're edified, encouraged, and he is glorified in the time we share in Exodus chapter 4. We are in the midst of an ongoing series here entitled Delivered uh, through the book of Exodus. This section, the final part of Exodus chapter 4, we finally have Moses um, on the go. He is leaving Midian. He is making his way uh, to Egypt. He has answered the call of the Lord. He will, in subsequent chapters, begin the process of delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, obviously with the Lord's strength and power. But it's going to be a challenge between where he is now and to get to that place where they are on the other side of the Red Sea. And for those of you who haven't been with us, maybe it would be helpful to just simply review, or even for those of you who've been with us, who, if you're like me, your memory's getting shorter and shorter, it's nice to have these little reminders, where have we been, where has the Lord taken us, and over the last several weeks, we've been in a long conversation, long conversation between Moses and God on the side of Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb. God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush, a bush that would not burn out, where the angel of the Lord inhabited that bush, was speaking to Moses from it. He has called Moses to be the deliverer of the people of Israel, and he has vested Moses with power. He's able to perform signs and wonders. He's given him the staff of God, as we see right here in Exodus chapter 4. And in subsequent chapters, we'll see Moses put all of those powers, and through Aaron's ministry, his brother, preach to Pharaoh and slowly but surely see the redemption of God's people. That's what we have been unfolding in the last few weeks. But what we've seen is this conversation with Moses and God has been quite back and forth. It's been something of a vocal toe-to-toe. Um, God has said, you're my man, and Moses has said, I'm not sure about that. And God has responded and said, yes, you're my man. Don't worry about the fact that you can't do the things that I've told you to do. I am the God who's going to go with you. It's not really about you, Moses. It'll be about me being with you. That's really the, the issue. And he says, well, that's good to hear, but can you tell me more about who you are, actually, since we're going to be hanging out a long time? And he says, I am that I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your forefathers, the one who's made promises uh, to his people, and I've come to fulfill them. I've heard the affliction of my people. I've come to redeem them out of the clutches of Pharaoh. And he says, okay, glad to know something about you. I don't know if I told you, but I've got this terrible lisp. <laughs> 
I speak with slang all of the time. There's a deep southern accent that doesn't trend well in Egypt. And I'm just thinking that I'm probably not your guy. And God says, you know, I made that mouth that is yours. And I think it's suitable. But um, uh, I, let's go. Uh, let's just get to Egypt. Well, one more thing. I, I don't know how to say this. Could you send someone else, please? And we're told that God's anger was kindled towards Moses. But his anger didn't get Moses off the hook. His anger actually was channeled towards equipping Moses and supporting Moses with Aaron, his brother. And he tells him that Aaron will be the mouthpiece. You'll be like God unto Pharaoh, meaning that when you show up, my presence will be there in the signs and the wonders that I perform. And in all the ways Pharaoh will see that I am that I am. But through Aaron, he will hear the message. He will be the mouthpiece. And reluctantly, we see Moses is now in verse 18 of chapter 4, beginning to make preparations and go, okay, I guess I'm going to head to Egypt. And it really is that kind of reluctance here in this passage. In fact, I want us to see together today as we look at this text, Something of lessons that we learn from Moses actually following the Lord from verses 18 to 31. Because as you see, the language starts, or the passage starts with the mission. He starts out for Egypt. It ends with worship. The mission is actually already being fulfilled by the end of this text. It's an amazing scope and sequence when you look at 18 to 31. So from mission to worship, what are the lessons that Moses has to learn? But as he answers the call until he fulfills the call, what are the lessons that Moses has to learn? And there are a bunch of them. And the reason that I think it's important for us to sit in that a little bit is because we're all on mission today. You may not think about it in that way, but we're all on mission here today. No, you're not probably the deliverer of God's people. Okay, His name is Jesus Christ. He's come. He's finished that work. He's coming again. However, you are God's answer to the generation in which he has put you in to the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends, to your neighbors, and your communities. You're on mission. Read the end of Matthew chapter 28 if you question it. He makes it very clear that he has called us to our locales, and he has also called us to the nations. As, as Moses is answering those call, this call, we are answering a call. And as Moses is learning lessons, there are lessons that we must learn. And the very first of those lessons that Moses learns, that all of us have to learn in following the call of God is this. Fears and doubts and questions will always come. But you must recommit yourself to God and his call every day. Questions and fears and doubts will come, but you and I must recommit ourselves to God and his call Every single day. Now, why do I say that that's an important lesson? Because very often we think that once we make the decision to follow God, the hard work is done, right? We've made the decision to follow him. Now it's just about the mission unfolding. But that's not actually how it goes at all. Immediately as you make a decision to follow God, especially into something hard, into something difficult, something costly, You know what's immediately going to happen after you make the decision to follow him? You're going to question it. You're going to start doubting. And you're going to get fearful. 
I heard this week a report of a family in the Franklin area who are leaving their lovely Middle Tennessee life to head to a remote part of Kenya uh, to serve the Lord on gospel mission. And it was delightful to hear that they're making preparations for fundraising and considering when to put their house on the market and all the things as they get prepared for, for mission. But as a part of that report was a prayer request that was being given to me to pray for them because just about every day as they're excited and making preparations to uh, embrace this call that the Lord Lord is placed on their life, they're also questioning, (laughs) are we really the people to do this? Is this the right time? How dangerous is the place that we're going to be? What will be the effect on our children uh, long term? Alongside the excitements of answering a call, what's happening? Doubts and questions and concerns. And every day they're having to wake up and renew their own commitment to God and his call on their life. Do you know something like that's actually happening to Moses here? There's actually two indications in the text that he's not yet all in on this call. In verse 18, the very opening of our text, notice the way that it reads. Moses, Moses went back to Jethro. He's leaving God as he was talking with them in the burning bush in, on the side of the mountain on Mount Sinai. He's leaving him. He goes back now to Jethro, his father-in-law, and notice what he says. Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Hmm. Do you recall that being the focus of Moses' call? I don't either. In the previous sections, all of this has been about redeeming God's people. All this has been a call from God. Now all of a sudden, Moses wants to go back and check on his family. And that's why they're going to Egypt. That's what he tells his father-in-law. Now, some of us in here are like, hey, go easy on him. If you were having a conversation with your father-in-law and you were going to tell your father-in-law, hey, I'm going to drag your daughter and your grandchildren to a hostile nation. Because I was having a conversation with God who was in a burning bush in the wilderness. And he has now dawned me with powers of wonders and signs. And I'm about to redeem one of the largest growing nations in the world at the time and two million people across the wilderness to the promised land. Sound good to you? They would have thought Moses was crazy. Would have thought he was absolutely crazy. So you're going to do what? You're not taking my daughter and grandchildren anywhere. We're going to bring the guys with the white coats and they're going to give you some medicine. We're going to treat you. We're going to put you in the counseling room. We're going to do all we can to get you restored to health, Moses. Moses here is is telling what is most certainly true. He probably wants to check on his family, but is not the primary uh, sense of his call. And he's doing what is sometimes, I think, really true of us when we're called on mission, especially when it's something costly, where we're about to do something crazy for the Lord, you know, like sell our goods and lands and give them to the poor, like the early church, or or pick up and go to a remote part of Kenya. When you start telling your family those things, and then you start telling your lovely Tennessee neighbors those things, you know what they think about you? They think you're crazy. And in one sense, you are. Because the crazy of the normal that is defined by the world standards is absolutely different according to the kingdom of God. It's absolutely wise to give up, right? The things that you cannot retain in order to gain the things that you cannot lose, right? Jim Elliott, I think, said something of that nature a number of years ago. What's crazy about laboring for eternity and holding loose the things of this world? Well, nothing whatsoever if you're in the frame of the kingdom of God and you're walking according to the scriptures. But you try that out on your father-in-law. 
What you see here with Moses is the fact that he wants to be committed to the Lord, but there's something of a faltering spirit within him. I want to soft pedal this thing. I'm going to tell him the truth, but not the whole truth. And you even see something of the assurance here of his own struggle. Notice how God comes in verse 19. God says to him, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but we haven't heard that Moses is even concerned about the men who were seeking his life. You remember that 40 years ago, he had killed a taskmaster for beating one of the Hebrew slaves, and he buried him in the sand, and it was found out, and he was on the Egypt Most Wanted list. He has been a fugitive for 40 years. And certainly that would have been in his mindset. There's no doubt about it, but the text hasn't told us that's really a concern. But notice what God does. God's so kind, isn't he? He comes and he knows that Moses needs some encouragement. He knows that Moses needs a nudge. He knows that he's told him a very minimal part of the truth to Jethro so that he can get out of town. And he knows that the fear within him that once he gets back to Egypt, the people who are hunting him down for his life are going to be on him like immediately. And so God comes to him and says, Moses, let's get going. We got to get back to Egypt. The men who are after your life, they have died. And what do we see in the very next verse? We see that Moses gathers up his family, he takes the staff of God, and he heads off into Egypt. Now I just want you to see that fears and questions and doubts are always going to come as you begin to answer the call of God. You must every day listen to the assurances of the Lord. Listen to the promises of the Lord. Listen to the call of God. Know his promise to be with you and recommit your walk to his call. It's a daily discipline, isn't it? It's not a one-time, one-stop shop thing. It's something you have to do daily. If you find yourself slipping every day and needing to be reminded of the same things again to follow God, then welcome to the club. That is the case here with Moses. This is not the last time we're going to see Moses' faltering spirit. Here's my question, I think, for us, especially the Middle Tennessee types, which are a lot of us here in this room. Are you willing to be a fool to follow God's call? Ask your heart that question. Are you willing for other people to judge that you are crazy in order to follow God's call? Is that even remotely a possibility for you? Or are you far too reasonable? Far too well collected? Got far too much stuff and many irons in the fire to be able to pick up like Moses would do and go across the world to answer God's call? Would you be willing for the judge of the world... The, the court of popular opinion say they have absolutely lost their mind because you have answered a call to God and you have a love for his people. You have a love for the nations. You want to see his gospel spread. You're holding loosely the things of the world. You're holding tight to eternity. Would you be willing to be a fool for the Lord? That's the struggle, I think, of Moses in this text. Would you be willing to even go to a place where your life would be threatened? You see, that was Moses' fear. Now, God in his kindness came here, didn't he? And he said, I want you to know, Moses, those men who are after you, they're dead. He's assuring him what a kind God he is. But notice the fear was there, wasn't it? Don't you want to be utterly abandoned to the call of God no matter what it is in your life and hold nothing back? Do you want to quit believing the lies that it's too late and you're too far down the line and it would be too difficult and you're too old or you, you're too young because you don't have equipping and training? You know the lies that you tell yourself about those? Like the lies that Moses was saying? Would you ever even consider the possibility 
that God may be calling you to be a fool for him and serve at his beck and call in the most radical way possible. Let's recommit ourselves to the call of God every single day as those doubts and those questions come. But I want you to see secondly this. Following God will be difficult and perplexing. But in faith, we must embrace God's sovereignty and pace with his mysterious plan. Let me say that again. Following God will be difficult and perplexing. But in faith, we must embrace God's sovereignty and pace with his mysterious plan. Now, where where do we see this? Well, look with me in verse 21 to 23. God explains to Moses in this passage how things are going to go down. Look at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now I want you to notice first just God's sovereignty. Let's start with something a little little restful around this text, right? God is in control. He is telling Moses what is going to happen blow by blow. He's letting him in on the scope of this ministry. In fact, he's alluding to plague number 10, isn't he? The death angel plague that will ultimately come in and will lay low the firstborn of Pharaoh and actually the firstborn of the Egyptians, anyone who doesn't have the blood over the doorposts and the lentils. So we have something of a progression of what Moses can anticipate that's going to happen. God's in charge. It's going to unfold. And as we look over the book of Exodus, what do we see? It unfolds just like God said it would. Isn't that really encouraging? I'm at least going with the God who is in sovereign control of the plan that will unfold. That's super encouraging. Do you know that's absolutely true in your life? Now, you may not have a blueprint like Moses had. In a point by point on your mission to free people out of Egypt. But the fact of the matter is you have his word. And he's instructed in his word through promises and commands exactly how it is that you can entrust yourself to him and know that as your life unfolds, you can rest in his sovereignty. He's in control. No one can stay his hand or subvert his will. That's an incredible encouragement. But notice his plan is very perplexing and mysterious. As much as he's in control and is sovereign, at the same time, it unfolds very oddly. The plan is essentially like this. Moses, you're going to go and do those signs and wonders. Before Moses, it's all going to go according to plan. And just as those signs and wonders happen and you tell him to let my people go, his heart is going to be hardened and it's not going to work. And it's going to happen like over and over again. Like, like 10 different times you're going to have to go and do this. And um, I just want to let you in on something. I'm actually the one hardening his heart. Now that's a little confusing, friends. He is the one that's sending Moses to accomplish this redemption. And now he's telling Moses that as he goes, he's going to be an obstacle for a quite a time until the redemption is complete. Now the whole, it's going to be complete. Don't get too stressed out 
uh, the mission will be complete. It's just going to be really hard, discouraging for a long time. It's very perplexing. It's very mysterious. You know what's interesting about our God is that very often He gives us a command and a plan to unfold, and then as we go, it happens, but it never happens in the way that we thought it would. Isn't that the way your life is? You can see God's fingerprints in all, all kinds of parts of your life, the people that you've met, events and experiences that happen. You can see that He's orchestrated them. And then there are parts of your life where you're like, I don't have any idea what that means. I don't have any idea what's going on. It could be a trauma. It could be a random kind of bewildering act. And you just have no sense of what it is that the Lord is trying to accomplish in this. Now, you have some senses from this standpoint. Every time that the Lord has an end that he wants to accomplish, he also ordains the means to accomplish it, right? That's what he shows us in this passage. He's ordained the ends, the emancipation, freedom of Israel. And here's how it's going to happen. But as you go along in the means, God has about 10,000 other things he's going to do. That you may know about some of them, but most of which you're not going to know. Like what might be some of the things that God is after in delaying, or what feels like and appears like delay in accomplishing the redemption of God's people and even creating an obstacle by hardening Pharaoh's own heart in the midst of it. What might he be doing? Maybe he's humbling Moses, continuing to fit him, to rely upon him as he endures the challenge of over and over addressing Pharaoh? Might he be whittling away at Pharaoh and exposing him that his power is not as great as God's and he wants to make that known among Egypt? Maybe he wants to display his power among the people of Israel who are going to be called to follow this God. Maybe they need to see all these signs and wonders. It's going to take some time for their own confidence to be built in order to follow this God. There might be a myriad, and there's... There probably is of things that the Lord is doing. We just don't know all that they are. The secret things belong to the Lord. His thoughts and His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Alongside the sovereignty of God's plan is the perplexing unfolding of it. The curiousness of it. The fact that we can't understand a lot of the twists and turns and even the fact that it seems like at times he's standing in the way of the very thing he told us to do. Wouldn't that be your takeaway if you were Moses in that moment? Let me get this right. You want me to go to Moses? You want me to go to Pharaoh to declare that your people would go away? And you're going to keep him from hearing the message and hardening his heart? Yes. But eventually, eventually that will happen. Okay. Why? You know, 20 times in the book of Exodus, we're going to hear that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Sometimes we're going to hear that it's hardened as we do here by God. Sometimes we're going to hear that it was hardened by Pharaoh himself. Sometimes we're going to hear it's hardened and we don't know who hardened it. 20 times, it's a big deal in the book of Exodus. We'll have plenty of time to explore it more. What I want you to see now is that this is mysterious. That God is sovereign, but we have to embrace the mystery of his plan. I wonder right now whether some of that's the challenge for some of us of even saying yes to God's call. Is because he's shown there's so much mystery in our lives. We just, 
there's now kind of bred in our hearts a little bit of distrust. We want a God that we can expect what he's going to do. And yet C.S. Lewis told us years ago that this, this God is not, well, he's not a tame lion. He's not someone that you can just instantly predict what his response is going to be. He often goes at things in ways that we would never have imagined. We must embrace the reality that he is in control and we are not. He knows things that we don't know. His ways are higher and we must entrust ourselves to him as we embrace the mystery of the unfolding of God's plan. And we continue to be faithful to his call. He begins to bear fruit. He begins to bear fruit in our lives. He begins to bear fruit through our lives in ministry. This is going to become, in some ways, a bit of a hard lesson for Moses here, even in this text. Because we see that one of the things that God is after is after the sanctification of Moses. We know that in this text. We actually see that as the third lesson that we need to remember when we're on mission. Here's, what, here's our third lesson from today's text. Don't be your own worst enemy. Obey God's commands. Don't be your own worst enemy. Obey God's commands. Now, where, where is this in the text? Well, it's in that very strange story and those very difficult verses about Moses' son's circumcision. These are the verses you've been praying for me on over the course of this sermon so far. And I look forward now to seeing the Lord answer your prayers as we look at them together. It's a quite shocking section, isn't it? Verses 27 to 29. It's even troubling. Here is God coming after someone to kill them. And it's not immediately clear to us uh, why. And it seems to come out of nowhere. It has given interpreters fits over the centuries. And part of what I want you to see is the challenge of this text. And so you can appreciate the pain that I've gone through this week in wrestling with this text. Did you hear me a second ago in verse 27? That God is after killing someone in this text? <laughs> it's not even clear who exactly it is. Do you notice how the text reads in verse uh, 27? The Lord, uh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong section. Verse 24, at verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. Who is him? Who <laughs> the Lord met? And sought to put him uh, to death. Okay, that's a little unusual. Uh, some would suggest that this is actually Moses' son Gershom, who we were introduced to in a previous chapter. He's obviously the subject of this section. He is uncircumcised, and his uncircumcised status is part of the challenge. And so maybe it's Gershom, but most believe this is probably Moses. That Moses is probably at fault for never having his son circumcised. He's not obeyed the commands of, of Abraham and of, that come through Abraham in Genesis 17 from God. And so it's very possible that it's, it's Moses in this context. And that seems to be the prevailing view, but it's not absolutely clear. Now, this is indicated maybe slightly by the fact that Zipporah, is, uh, Moses' wife, uh, actually conducts the surgery in the text 
Um, it would typically have been Moses' responsibility to do that. But if Moses is under the threat of death, it's very possible he's incapacitated in some way at this point. God's trying to put you to death. You may not have all your faculties uh, in that moment. It's possible that's the case. So Zipporah takes things into her own hands. So maybe that's an illusion that it's uh, Moses. Maybe. But then there's this reference to the bridegroom of blood. Uh, what, a, what a marvelous statement that is. What does this mean? And then there's Gershom's foreskin being wiped on Moses' feet. That's not strange at all. (laughs) What in the world is going on here? Why did Zipporah do that? Um, Still further, there's question as to whose feet it is that she's actually wiping the foreskin on. Now, you won't notice that if you've just got your bulletin, but if if you're looking at a Bible, you'll see that Moses' feet is glossed And the actual language in the Hebrew is the pronoun his, his feet. So we're back to the same problem that we had in verse 24. We don't actually know who the his or the the him is in those verses exactly. So there's a challenge. It could be Gershom's feet. It could be Moses' feet. Believe it or not, it could be not feet. That seems strange, doesn't it? Yes, feet is often used, believe it or not, in the Bible as a euphemism for the organ of procreation. Um, You could build a strong case for that. Many commentators believe that here is actually a reference in a kind of slighted and euphemistic way of the fact that what is being actually applied with blood is the sexual organs of either Moses or of Gershom in this case. That's a really possible, we could, I could take you down the path of looking at all of the potential uses of scripture with regards to feet and sexual organs. I'm not going to do that. Um, I do commend that study. It's very enlightening, but nevertheless, (laughs) there you have it. What do we learn from this since we don't know what's going on? There are many thoughts that I have. But what do we learn from this? What's the lesson we learn? I would like to suggest there's a very significant lesson. And it's very obvious in the text. Moses has failed to obey God's commands. He's failed to have his own son circumcised. As commanded in Genesis chapter 17. As a son of the lineage of Abraham. And because of this, God has halted the entire mission. Isn't that remarkable? Because of the disobedience of Moses and the uncircumcised status of Gershom, God has halted the entire mission and threatens what appears to be either Gershom's or Moses' life until obedience is performed. Now that may seem like a really like, seriously, he halted the entire mission because the son wasn't circumcised. If that's registering on you, like that seems like a small thing to get so riled up about. That just means that you're not seeing it through the eyes of God. And very often it means that we're not actually looking at obedience as that big of a deal. I think that's a big part of the lesson here. Don't be your own worst enemy. Obey God's commands. Think about the Think about the unfolding of this. This really helped me sort of understand even the depth of what's going on. What is Moses happening? What's he doing here? Well, he is the the deliverer of God's people 
who's going to lead Israel to the promised land, which was prophesied back in Genesis chapter 15 and carries through with the promises in Genesis 17, the very text from which we get circumcision. He's going to take the children of Abraham who are under the covenant promises of God, and he's going to lead them to the promised land. It's the next unfolding of the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to do that, and he has broken Abrahamic covenant. How is he going to be fit for the mission if he's not even given his own son to God? How is he going to lead the sons of Israel if his own son hasn't been given to God? This is a man who at the center of his being actually has hidden a delayed or disguised the reality of the fact that he has not obeyed the Lord and is now on mission with the Lord. And the Lord is dead set, shall we say, on Moses' obedience on the way to answering the call. See, this is one of those ends along the means that we uh, really don't often think about. But I can assure you that if you take a call from the Lord and genuinely start serving in the way that the Bible calls you to, you know what's going to happen to you? Stuff is going to get exposed. It just happens, friends. It's the nature of the work. Do you know why? Because the mission is not just something you do. The mission is something God is doing in you. The mission is something God's doing in you. He's sanctifying Moses. He's preparing Moses in character and obedience to be the man of God that he's called him to be. Living in obedience to God as uh, living in disobedience to God is never a safe place to be. It's never a safe place to be. And part of the lesson we've got to learn on mission is that as we go on mission, you know what the Lord's going to be after? He's going to be after us. Our growth and our purity. Do you think he actually had intention of killing Moses or Gershom in this chapter? It was probably a lot like, well, when, when Abraham was called to kill Isaac. It was probably a test very similar. To trust the Lord, to test him, to draw out, as it were, the very character of God in him. Now this leads us to a fourth lesson in here. Since that one is somewhat heavy... This one, I think, is helpful in uh, an encouraging way. The fourth lesson we see is that the way is bloody, but do not fear. This is your only hope. It is bloody. We just saw that, didn't we? The way is bloody. The way, the way is going to get bloodier as this unfolds on the way to redemption. You, you remember how we said God ordains the end, but also the means. And that in the means he has other ends. Well, surely one of those ends is to communicate to Moses that he needs a deliverer. Don't you think he communicated that very clearly to Moses in this event? That Moses, I promise you, you can't even lead your family. What makes you think you're going to lead my people without me? You're a deliverer, but I'm going to deliver you. To be the deliverer of my people. You see in Exodus 4, 24 to 26, that section, we see actually a foreshadowing of what takes place in Exodus 12. You remember we have it already alluded to. Isn't that interesting in the text? The, the death of Pharaoh's son, the threat of that is given already in our text. 
Well, remember in Exodus chapter 12, which is the Passover, is that the people of Israel were told that they must apply the blood on the doorposts and the lentils of their, of their home as the death angel uh, comes in uh, to Egypt and lays low the firstborn of anyone who is not under the banner of blood and is within that, uh, or within that household. Well, interestingly, the, the only other time that the word for wiping blood, which we see right here in Exodus 4, is used, is in Exodus 12, in the Passover. And what you begin to see is that whatever's happening here in the bloody way that Moses is, is trekking is that Moses is disobedient. Somebody's blood has to be shed in order for someone to be saved. Don't you see that in this text? Whatever those three verses say, they tell us that, don't they? That sounds a lot like Passover, doesn't it? The fact that that angel is going to come in and the firstborn is going to be laid low unless they're under the banner of the covering of blood and someone will have to die or shed blood in their case in order for them to be redeemed. We have a foreshadowing in a very real sense here in Exodus 4 of what's going to happen in Exodus 12, but not just there, do we? That's the pattern of the gospel that I just shared with you. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, we're told, through the writer of Hebrews. Jesus is ultimately what? He's a firstborn son, isn't he? And, and isn't he also a lamb? Well, that seems a lot like Exodus 4 and Exodus 12 to me, doesn't it to you? And isn't it going to be him who is perfectly obedient? He's not going to be a deliverer like Moses who we see even before he makes it to Egypt is already in sin and has broken covenant with the Lord. He's going to make it all the way to the cross. In fact, he's going to make it all the way to the throne room again because the obedient one sheds his blood so that you and I who have trusted in him can be saved. The way is bloody, but do not fear. It is your only hope. Don't you think something of that is actually registering in some microscopic or seed form way in the life of Moses at this time, especially as you see fruitfulness from his life unfold. You see, finally in this, we see that God is faithful and that he deserves our worship. This is our fifth lesson. God is faithful and he deserves our worship. Did you see right at the end of the text? Isn't it interesting that we see the slippery, reluctant, hesitant Moses starting out on this journey. We see God telling him his plan and the mystery of it. We see God coming in and, and putting someone almost to death so that obedience can happen and that they would be redeemed. And now they're free. It's almost as if all this has been a testing. And now they're free to go into Egypt. And what happens? Well, from verses 27 to verse uh, 31 in the, the text... Um, it reads just like a report. They get there. They pull together the elders. He meets with Aaron. Aaron speaks the words of God. Moses performs the wonders of God. They recognize that God has visited them. The people of Israel rejoice. They bow down on their faces and they begin to worship God. The whole mission just begins to unfold on the heels of God's provision of grace in the life of Moses and Aaron. Right after he shows them grace, the whole thing just begins to unfold. Now, more challenges are coming. 
But don't you think that something of what the text is communicating is the fact that the fruitfulness of ministry is going to come from the faithfulness of God to extend his grace to us? Fruitfulness is not going to come because Moses has got his act together or you've got your act together. It's going to become because God has his act together. And he has charged you and informed you with his grace. He's provided all that you need. Lisping, stammering tongue. Fumbling, fingered Moses. Hesitant, reluctant prophet. He's going to use even the likes of him as a means by which to lead God's people into worship. What an incredible picture of God's faithfulness. Now, I hope that as you see this unfold in this text, it begins to stir up within you the question, what is your mission? What is it that God has called you to do? You know, God has already in Christ saved you if you have trusted in him alone for your salvation. His mission is accomplished on your behalf. And now he has called you into mission with him. To share of the good news of the gospel. Who is it that you need to share of the life-giving, life-saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who's in bondage around you? Where does liberation need to be experienced? Who maybe among us in here are so ensnared in hidden sin that as we go out on mission, we're concerned. (laughs) All this may be exposed. It might. Such is the nature of things. Such is the beauty of God's exposure. I don't worry so much about those who get exposed. That's really really a great grace, severe as it is. Think about those who don't. Who name the name of Christ for so long and live a parallel life and never get exposed and go to the grave doing so. That seems to be more worrisome to me. What's the nature here of the calling which the Lord has placed on your life? What reluctancy do you need to lay at his feet? What bondages might you need to be freed from? And where is your love limited with regards to those who are around you? If the opportunity today came, would you be willing to be a fool for Jesus? Even if it meant that your sin was scandalously exposed and we all knew about it. If that meant you could grow a little bit more like Jesus... And be used as a mighty instrument in his hand to the calling that he's placed on your life. Would you be okay with it? Do you see where the Lord is taking us? He's saying he wants the whole of us. Everything. The things that you're giving him and the things you're holding back. He wants it all. And he wants you to use it for his glory. Today is the day of that grace. And to answer that call. Listen to the words of the Lord. And keep pace with his spirit. Answer his call. Father in heaven, I only know the call that you've given to us here in the word. I know the hearts and the lives of all of us in this room. But I know in fresh ways you're stirring that very reality in me. And I pray you would do so for my brothers and sisters here in this room. By grace would you pursue us. And would you release us increasingly into your call in our time for your glory? Hear that prayer and answer it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.